you know, usually during that time, I'm like getting prepared I had to, to walk through some material with you. But literally, I was sitting there and I was just laughing so hard. And here's what I was thinking. I was just imagining Drew running again, right? No, no, stay with me. This would be like, the, like this would make him so happy. Um, and his little running shorts, again, they make no sense to me, but the little running shorts, I imagine him with a, you know, shirtless with a family across the front. And this, this bright headband just running, right? And it's fancy, you know, those fancy glasses. And it's like you just see him running in place, right? And all of a sudden it pans down, right? This is the video. And it pans down. You notice that he's running on grass. And then behind him you can slightly see a tombstone, right? And then all of a sudden, like, it pans to the tombstone and it has my name on it, <laughs> you know? And, Drew, and it comes back to Drew and he says, and that's why I run and don't eat cheeseburgers, <laughs> you know? Right? That'd be so awesome. And then he'd be like, and then he had some kind of sign saying, hey, I'm doing this 24-hour run on Josh's grave to raise money for his family because Josh didn't exercise or take care of his heart. And so um, maybe that's what it is. We're in Acts chapter 3 and 4. Let me just kind of just set this up for you, okay? Um, if this is your first time in church, second, if you're kind of weirded out by church, that's okay. A lot of us are too. And in fact, there's a lot of things we do at church when you show up. You're like, do I bow down? Do I stand up? Do I talk aloud? Okay, when we pray, and like someone about to call on me to pray. Okay, they're about to pass this offering back. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff going on. And actually, it just causes a good bit of anxiety. In fact, some of you walk in today, you're, like you're nervous in the minute you walk in. Like, oh my goodness, don't make eye contact. You know, keep it right here. You know, like just kind of walking through saying, oh, please, please, please. I don't know. Is somebody going to look at me? Is it going to be someone I saw at the liquor store yesterday? I mean, what does that look like? How's this going to work? And you just walk in with this kind of this anxiety because we just have crazy this kind of church atmosphere we're like well this is what you do you wear a suit you wear a tie you dress up you come on in and then you you, you say some prayers the pastor says something you repeat something you read something in the bulletin you fill in the blanks on the notes and then you go home and you just go about your day you cut your grass and this kind of the end of it and you're like I'm not really sure how this makes any sense in my life I'm not sure where it's applicable to me I'm not sure where what just happened actually changed anything about what's going on with my family or my job or my future. And so what we thought is, you know, it just makes sense that we would just spend some time trying to figure out exactly what the church should look like. And there's, not, like, uh, there's just like this, this part of the Bible, which is kind of like the, the church manual. It's like where the church started, and it's the book of Acts. And so instead of saying this is how, why we do the things that we do, it just makes more sense for us just to sit still for a little while and read through the story of Jesus's church. In fact, just to, just to update you, um, this book is written by a, a guy named Luke. Luke was the guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Basically, a guy named Theopolis paid him lots of money to go research the life of Jesus. Most scholars will uh, tell you that they don't even believe Luke was a believer in Jesus Christ before he began this journey of writing this book. So he wrote the uh, the, the Gospel of Luke, which is basically just the story of Jesus' life from birth through the time he grows up, grows a really nice beard, does a couple of cameos on Duck Dynasty, and then after that, you know, goes through, does some ministry for a little while, and then dies. And Luke captures that whole deal and writes a book to kind of let us know exactly what Jesus' biography looked like. And then about 50 or 60 AD, this is about 20 or so, 15 to 20 years, 10 to 20 years after Jesus' death, Luke follows it up with a sequel. And this book is called The Acts of the, uh, the, the Apostles. And so this is the story of these 
apostles, these disciples of Jesus, who began saying, okay, Jesus is real. He lives in us. He died, ascended into heaven. He gave us a mission to go into all nations and baptize people to, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. And he gave us his spirit, which means he gave us the same power that he conquered the grave with to live in us to do those things. And so Luke captures this whole story of Jesus's church. In fact, it starts with Jesus' ascension. That's where we were last week. That means Jesus in his like little stairway to heaven moment where he goes up and then the church begins to work and it ends with Paul, one of the le- uh, the leaders of the church, the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. It ends with him being persecuted and under house arrest in Rome. And so today we're going to read all of Acts 3 and Acts 4, which I was just telling the guys upstairs, it's, it's actually is really uh, relieving to me because it's like, okay, this I can't manufacture. I can't tell you any funny jokes. I can't tell you some stories about a dog drowning or whatever. Like there's, there's nothing here to offer you. Maybe that's not a funny story to you. I'm sorry, if you were here a couple of weeks, I shared that story. It wasn't funny. Um, and so uh, regardless of those deals, like this is not something that I can manufacture. I just want to read you the story that actually happened in the gospel, actually happened in the, uh, the, the first century post-Jesus' death. Um, if, if you bail out early or if you are not good with attention span, let me, just, let me just tell you what it is I hope you hear, and then we'll work backwards with it, okay? Um, when, when, when I prepare material, usually it's weeks in advance, and I'll sit still, and there's four questions. Every week, I start with the same stuff, and here's the first, first here's the four questions that every week I, on a piece of paper or on a computer, I just answer. I sit still before the Lord, and this is the questions I ask. The first one is, God, what do you want to say? And here's what I think he wants to say today, just going up front. That he only has two qualifications for the people who are going to change the world. That's it. Two qualifications. You don't have to be a seminary graduate. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to have been never married. You don't have to, have, you know, abstain from sex. You don't have to not be a recovering addict. There's, there's none of those things. There's two qualifiers for people who are going to change the world. The first one is full of the Holy Spirit meaning Jesus resides, and then the second one is boldness. That's what he wants you to hear today. Why is, and then the second question that it always answers, God, why do you want to say that? And here's why I believe he, he wants to say that this morning. Because I think you need permission and direction. One, no one's actually looked you in the face and said, you know what, God has you on this planet to change the world. It makes a lot of sense, right? Because we go through every day wondering why we still feel so empty, Right, we at the end of the day, we're like, ah, I mean, I, I paid my bills, I fed my family, I completed that class, I did my homework, I punched in and punched out on the time clock, I taught someone something. But at the end of the day, we're still like, ah, it still seems like something's missing. Well, guess what it is? God has put you on this planet to change the world. As it says in Acts 17, 6, a bunch of people chased after Jesus, and it said literally they turned the world upside down. So if you need permission. But once you get permission, there's, a, there's, a, there's another side of it. The second part of it is this. You need direction, right? Now, not only, uh, that Rick Warren says it this way. He says, the church doesn't need more ought to. It needs more how to. In other words, you don't need me to tell you how you need to get your life together. You don't need me to beat you over the head and tell you why there's so much doom and gloom. What you need is actually, okay, tell me what the next step is. Well, that's what I think God has you here today. So the first question is, what does God want to say? Well, God wants you to know that there's only two things you need. His spirit and boldness. Why? Why does he want you to know that? Because he wants you to have permission and direction. He wants you to have permission to go chase after the world, and he wants to give you the direction to do it. The third question I always ask is, God, what do you want people to do with this? Like, okay, this material that we're about to walk through, your word, what is it that you want people to do with it? And here's what it is. He wants you to be bold. 
And there's tension in this, right? Because the minute I say that, you maybe some of you go to this place. So you go, oh, goodness, I know the bold people. They're the people who stand up on the corner with megaphones and scream at people and call them sinners. Oh, they're the ones who, who make signs and hold them up. That's not bold. That's lazy. It's lazy. That's not bold. This isn't like permission for you to go and just scream at people you don't know, right? That's not what boldness is. There's a tension here. It's not, that, it's not about you going and talk, calling out everybody's sin and everybody's messiness. That is not boldness. Boldness is actually going and loving people really well. And when they ask why, tell them about Jesus. That's it. Boldness is building a platform that points to Jesus. In fact, Jesus says it this way. Let your light so shine before men. We just sang about it. Shine your light. Let the whole world see. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works, or see our good works. This is what Jesus says. See your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, you serve people to point people to Jesus. You can't change them. You can't convince them. You can't beat them over the head enough. That's why I'm just kind of surrendered to that. Look, I'm not going to try to change you today. I have no power to do that. So what does he want you to do? He wants you to be bold. And he wants you to love people. Why? And that's the fourth question is, God, why do you want people to do this? Simple. For his glory and for our good. There's two things simultaneously always happening for us. As we serve Jesus, as we go about this life, God is working it together for his glory. But at the same time that he's working it together for his glory, he's also working it together for our good. So now you get the notes. That's it. Let's just read through this together. And this is Acts chapter 3, and we're going to be in it for a while. It's probably somewhere around 60 verses we're reading together. Um, it's going to be on the screen up here. It's Acts chapter 3. I'm reading from the English Standard Version today. Um, if you don't have a Bible, or if you want another one, uh, we have plenty of Bibles at the guest services table. As soon as you walk out, it's the first thing you see. Please take them. They're on us. Uh, generous people have made those available, and we'd love, love for you to take it. And so here goes, Acts chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. Here's what it says. Now Peter... And John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So Peter and John, these are two of uh, Jesus' disciples. Peter is kind of like the crazy buffoon, does lots of crazy things. He's cut a man's ear off by now. He's walked on water. He's cussed out, you know, all sorts of people. I mean, Peter is a, a rough redneck of a fisherman who decides to chase after Jesus. And then there's John, and John's like the pretty boy. He's happy. He's the favorite. He's the little one. He's the one who writes the gospel of John over and over again. He reminds everybody that... He's the disciple that Jesus loved. He's the one that, John, that Jesus leaves his mom to. Hey, John, you take care of mama. You take care of Mary. You know, that's, that, that's your job. And so Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples who walked three years of life with him, are now walking together in the ninth hour to go pray. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate. To ask for the alms of those entering the temple. So there's this guy, he doesn't walk every day. A couple people like made a deal with him. Hey, we'll bring you in front of this gate. That's where all the religious people are. Those are the people that, you know, it's like if you're in college, you went to Passion, like the Passion Conference this year is at the Georgia Dome. And one of the things that happens every year during that time is like a lot of homeless people, they migrate over there. And here's why they're like, okay, there's going to be 50,000 college kids that love Jesus. They'll let's go over there and talk them into it kind of deal. Well, that's kind of the deal. They're this this, um, this handicapped guy can't walk. He's in front of this uh, gate called Beauty. As he's there, he's thinking, okay, I'll sit here. And as the, 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 the good people, the Jesus followers, as we ask them, they'll give us money. So here he is. He's sitting there. Peter and John are about to walk by. And they're about to interact with a homeless, handicapped man who asks for alms every day. The only thing he does is ask for money. That's, that's his whole day. He lays and begs. This is a beggar, right? And this is, what, this is how it takes place. 
seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something on them. So Peter looks at him and says, hey, hey, look at us. So he's like, yes, I hit the jackpot. Got some Christians with some money. You know, like that's what he's thinking right here. I'm going to go have me Ruth's Chris steak tonight. I mean, it's going to be good if I can find someone to carry me. You know, like that's what he's working through in this moment, right? And this is what Peter says. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. Oh, man. <laughs> Never mind. Just keep on walking. You know, you ain't got no money for me. I mean, what are you going to do? Tell me a limerick? That's not going to help me. Think that limerick's going to make my legs work, right? And so this is, this is what he says. But what I do have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So Jesus, I mean, so Peter literally looks at him and says, I got nothing to give you. I have no money, but what I do have, I will give you. Look him straight in the face and says, in the name of Jesus, walk. Let me just be real clear here. This is an actual story. Like this isn't, um, this isn't a myth. This isn't Aesop's fables. This is literally happened like this happened in a day and time where people met jesus i met peter peter looked him in the eyes never walked and this man stands up and walks verse 8 and leaping up he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. Verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. Oh, they're like, oh goodness, I know that guy. That's the guy I didn't make eye contact with just a little while ago. That's like the guy at the red light where you're holding up the sign. You're like, I don't want him to see me looking at him. Because then I'll feel bad. Or then I'll feel awkward. And then I'll have to give him my change. And the only thing I got is a 10. And I'm thinking if I pull out a 10. Am I asking for $9 back? That probably is going to be a little awkward. And so I'm not sure to do. So hey, don't look. No, 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 Briggs. Don't look that way. Don't look that way. Daddy, why don't look that way, Briggs? I'm not going to answer any questions until we get past the red light. You know what I'm talking about? Like, so they're walking by. They're like, oh, goodness, I saw him. I kind of saw him in my periphery because I didn't make any eye contact with him. But I recognize him. I recognize that voice, right? So they see him, and he's dancing, and he's singing. And they're like, whoa, either that guy played a really nasty trick on me for the last 30 years and I'm begging for my money, or something just crazy happened, right? And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. To him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. You may have heard this is Solomon's porch, verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. So Peter's watching all these people whispering, like, see, see that guy? Like, somehow he stood up, like, he's not supposed to do that. He's all dancing and happy. And what's he happy for? Wasn't he, like, handicapped his whole life? I'd be, I mean, I'd still have a grudge, but he's happy. He's dancing. What are we going to do about this? And so Peter sees this moment. He's like, okay, let me address this. And this is what he says. Okay. Men of Israel, he's talking to Jewish people. Hey, hey, religious people, you don't like me. I get that because I'm a follower of Jesus. You don't like him. Let me just tell you what happened, right? Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as through by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified a servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. So he's saying, hey, hey, okay, I understand you have a problem with this, right? You don't like that this, this guy who wasn't walking is now walking. He's saying, but let me just tell you what happened. Hey, do you remember Jesus, the guy you killed? That one, you know, just you know, it's a couple months back. It was like Passover, you showed up at the house, so Judas, you know, got, got some money out of the deal. I remember I, I cut your ear off. 
Remember that? Yeah, you. I, I, well, no, there's no scar. You know, I don't know what happened. But I cut that ear off. Remember, you remember that? The guy that y'all killed, right? That guy who you killed, you delivered over to Pontius Pilate. Hey, remember, that guy that you killed, remember he came back to life? Okay, if he can come back to life, you think it's that crazy that I can speak his name and someone can walk? What do you think's harder? Coming out of a tomb where you're dead or a lame man walking. Remember, you killed him. I just want to make sure you understand this same thing right here. This is a remnant. This is a ramification of what you did. This guy's standing because of Jesus. Remember, again, the one you killed. Oh, you remember you had that opportunity? There was a guy named Barabbas. He was crazy. He was foaming at the mouth. And Pontius Pilate said, hey, are you sure? Are you sure you want to kill Jesus? How, how about we release him? They're like, no, no, no. We understand it's the Passover. We understand we get to release one person. But we want to release the guy who's foaming at the mouth. No, that's not rabies. That's just Alka-Seltzer. We want him, you know. Jesus, we want dead. Remember that guy. You killed him. That's what's going on here. And he continues, right? This is Peter, which is a little bold because obviously Peter knows that these guys are a little bit cross-happy. You know, like they like to put people on it. They like to kill them. They like to shut them up. So Peter is saying these things, right? In his name, by faith in his name. I want to be clear. That's what by, Not by Jesus, but by faith in Jesus has made this man strong whom you see and know and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health and in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. Hey, brothers, I, I, I know that you didn't mean to do this. You're just not very smart. None of you. Neither are they like the bosses. Your bosses, they're stupid too. <laughs> Funny, right? Yeah, I know. It's made a man walk. I'm feeling a little bit bold right now. Wouldn't have done this. A, you know, yeah, I understand. I cussed at you a while back when you asked me if I followed Jesus. I said no. Well, the, the things have changed. You know why? Jesus came out of the grave. You know, something like a whole deal changed when Jesus came out of that tomb. Something happened in me. Like I thought, wow, he must be real. I'm chasing after him. And he said, you know, I, hey, look. Didn't know any better. Neither than your rulers, right? Let me explain to you what you should do. And that's what he says. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, suffer, he thus fulfilled. And here's Peter's only message. You'll see it throughout the book of Acts. Verse 19, repent. In other words, again, not change your behavior, but change your mind. Hey, you were ignorant. Fill it with some good information and start living a different life because of what you filled it with. Right? Renovate all that junk that says your behavior determines this. What people see makes a difference. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of, for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And he said, now I want you to listen to this. These are your guys. Remember, these are like your bosses. These are the ones that you have always studied. This is Moses. Let me tell you about Moses. He says this. Moses, your great, 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 great grandfather, that guy. Him, the one that you all like celebrate as a guy who has a grave, still in a grave. You know Moses. Remember, right across from the promised land, there's Moses' grave. Some of you visited it. Some of you had your pilgrimage to it. You know him. Jesus, no grave. Moses, the guy that you really think is great, he has a grave. But he was just talking about the guy who wasn't going to have a grave, Jesus. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people and all the prophets who have spoken from samuel again someone you like a lot that was a prophet right i mean he was a really smart guy loved jesus loved, loved the lord served him well that guy samuel also talking about jesus and those who came after him also proclaim these days you are the sons of the prophets 
and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, again, remember Father Abraham had many sons, you are one of them, hey, so am I. Let's just praise the Lord, right? And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. He said, hey, look, the people of Israel, do you not get that God met you first through his son Jesus? All those prophets, all those guys that you think are so great were all talking about this guy. And he came here to remove you from like from that nastiness of the like the, the Roman regime. Not just to free you from bondage now, but to free you from bondage for all eternity. That's what Jesus did. And it's time for you to repent. It's time for you to not walk in ignorance anymore and to understand and see that Jesus has made this available to you. Well, the Jewish leaders don't like this. I want you to see what it says in Acts chapter 4. This is the very next verse, and it says this. And as they, meaning Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came on them. These are the really important guys with the bigger, nicer robes. Okay, this is them. They show up and they see this, and this is what they say. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection. Oh, guys, I thought that we, remember we thought that if we killed Jesus, all this would be settled, but then he came back to life. No one saw that. And so now he's back alive, and then he went up to heaven. They've gotten really, really bold. They've gotten really, really, really bold. And so they're getting nervous about it. And so these guys are like, hey, here's the deal. Man, this, these guys, Peter and John, they're, they're, they're ruining a good thing we have here. Do you understand that every week these guys show up? Like all these people come up and they worship and they give us their money. And we get their money and we still get to be in power, right? And there's like, and Peter and John are messing this up for us because these guys, they weren't priests. And all of a sudden, like, people are following them instead of us. I was talking to, to Gus. Oh, if y'all know Gus, Gus was our teaching pastor last year. Him and Janine, who uh, was on our staff for a while, and then they decided to get married and break all of our hearts. And for a while, they're dead to me. They're back mildly living um, to me now. But they were here. Uh, Gus and I were sitting there this morning. And I was just telling him what's going on here. And I'm like, you know, it's crazy. I just get to read the Bible, and Jesus does something. And he's like, you know, that's going like, what's going to happen? And Gus is going to seminary to, to be prepared to change the world. And he's like, you know, it's going to put people like us out of a job. And I'm like, I know, isn't that awesome? That's why I'm a farmer. Because I don't expect that this is going to, like, going to pay the bills because you're all going to figure it out and you're going to chase after Jesus. And I'm like, I'm not even sure what I'm here anymore for, right? I mean, that's what we hope happens. Well, these leaders, these priests are thinking, oh, my goodness. If these guys understand that the Spirit can live in them, and these guys understand that Jesus can meet where they are and that God is available to them, they won't need us anymore. And how are we going to pay our bills? Like, if, if they don't need us. So they're freaking out, and they're thinking, we got to do something about Peter and John. Here's what happens. And they arrested. Put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and a number of men came to about 5,000. Again, we're about a, about a week, two weeks' time. They went from, you know, 11 disciples. They added 12 because, you know, Judas fell off, and they added 12. Then they go from 12 to 300 pretty fast. 300 to 3,000 pretty fast. And even in the middle of these tense moments, as Peter and John are saying this, about 2,000 more people say, I want in on that. I believe that's what Abraham was talking about. How do I get some of that? Like, okay, I'll repent. You're right. I thought I, if I did all the right laws enough, then everything would work out. That's not working out for me. I want in on that. 2,000 people in that moment decided to chase after Jesus, right? So now there's that 5,000. 
On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who are of the high priestly family. Don't you want to be a part of that deal? That sounds like a fun Thanksgiving. Verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? So they finally pull them together and like, okay, we got to do something. They're arrested. They've been handcuffed. They've, they come before. This is trial, right? These guys had the power to kill them. And they look at P- Peter and John and say, okay, we need to know. How'd you do this? I mean, really? Like, this, unless this was a, a, one of those really crazy, like, 40-year practical jokes. I mean, we've seen the guy. We've tried to get him up, never moved. How'd you do this? Tell us right now. Tell us. You need to come clean. Tell us this was a joke. Tell us it was April Fool's. Can I just share something with you real quick? It was really fun for me. Um, April 1st was Monday, which happens to be one of my favorite days of the year. It really is. It's one of my favorite days of the year. And some of you know this, and maybe you don't. I'll, I'll fill you in. Um, we, we've had some really unusual luck when it comes to buildings. Uh, the first building we were in, it got shut down. And then we like were a homeless church for four or five weeks. And then we moved to the mall, which worked out fairly good. And, um, but then we got evicted from there, not because we didn't pay the bills, but because they didn't want a church in a mall. I mean, who would have thought? I don't, you thought the churches make I mean, perfect sense in places where uh, consumers want to come buy things. And so... Um, and then we're in Somerville at the Shrine Auditorium, and we never knew what, like, a long, we never had a lease. We really were there week by week trying to figure it out. And so we've always had, like, some, some kind of awkward luck in the deal with the whole thing. And so um, we finally got here, had some troubles getting the lease settled, and we're finally here. And last week was like, yay, we, like, we're a church, like, we're not homeless, we have a place, all's good, right? And so what I thought I'd do on Sunday afternoon, I, I wrote up an eviction notice. I mean, it was really nice. <laughs> like, it was like two pages and lots of codes and I taped it to the front door and I signed our landlord Joe's name right and you know we love Joe but we've had some battles with Joe and so it wasn't like completely crazy the night before or the weekend before Thursday night as the band was getting ready for the night of worship it got really loud in here um we, we believe it was the Holy Spirit um and it was but it was really loud and um the neighbors called the cops and so they came down so there's some reasons we're a little concerned and so there is this like so I put a little um, eviction notice on the door and then Drew got it first and uh, I, I honestly like I was on Dragon I told you like three four hours minimum right but I'm I kid you not I almost like today I could have been running on Gr- Drew's grave if um, if I would have held it out any longer because like I mean he was having a panic attack looking for like a brown paper bag not the kind of drink from the kind of hyperventilate in and so <laughs> That was going on in the deal. It was so good. Like, and so we kind of walked them through the whole thing. But anyway, April Fool's, it didn't really happen. We were going to take a picture and put it on Facebook and ask you to pray for it. But apparently you can't, like, joke around with prayers and April Fool's jokes. That's what the guys told me. So anyway. Um, so they're wondering, okay, is this like some kind of joke? Look, tell us. This is Peter's answer. So good. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, stands up. Oh, you want to ask me? You want to know who this is about? Shouldn't have asked that question. You had it. You asked. I got an answer. Here's this is what he says: Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known. That's what he says. Hey, you want to know how we did it? You want to know how the guy started walking? Let it be known. Hey, is everybody listening? Make sure. Is everybody listening? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus. Yeah, I said it. That's what he's like. He's like, yeah, I said Jesus' name. Uh-huh. Yeah, I said it. By the name of Jesus, 
Christ, just in case you're wondering, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You remember the guy that you said nothing good could come from there? That little place, like little podunk, you know, like, like it has like extra letters that are not supposed to be in there. You just pronounce it like Nazareth, Archie. And so like, you know, like that kind of place. You know, there, Jesus getting confused from some other Jesus, the one that had more of the shape and beard, not the burly beard. This is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. By his name, we feel these people. Whom you crucified, just so you know, that guy, the guy who you killed, remember? Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, not you, you didn't have that power, right? Jesus, God, raising from the dead, right? By this man, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. Let me tell you a little bit more about this Jesus, right? This Jesus was a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In other words, your good deeds, your fake deeds, your money, your dressy clothes, those aren't saving you, just Jesus does. Verse 13, this is what I want you to say. This is an incredible verse. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were educated, common men, perceived. They're like, oh, you know that guy? Like, he has bad grammar. They were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been when Jesus, in other words, whoa, they, what they saw in this. They saw that these men had no pedigree. They weren't educated. They didn't have any experience in this deal. And they thought, whoa, there is no way in the world that these guys, I mean, they don't, they're not physicians. They don't have any special powers. They don't have any money. They're not, like, they can't do magic tricks. Like, they have nothing. They perceived that these guys are uneducated, ordinary men, and they were You know, I read that, I thought, oh, my goodness, Lord, that makes perfect sense to why we have a church. Because it would make perfect sense that you would move nowhere Proclaim your goodness and proclaim your news and proclaim those things to a bunch of people who said, look, we don't even know what we're doing. My degree's in math. That's what it's in. You know, like, it, it, there's nothing clever about what we're doing. We haven't manufactured this deal. And what's happening is Jesus saying, look, 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 I want them to see you as normal. I want them to see you as ordinary. You think you've been convinced that unless you get all your junk together, you know what's going to happen is they're going to say, someone's going to look at you one day and they're going to like, they're going to perceive and they're like, man, that guy was an addict. That guy, a year and a half ago, was buying drinks for everyone. There's no way that could have happened in this guy's life on his own. Wow, that person, really, like, that person has an eighth grade education. That person dropped out of school. That person's been married four times. Oh, you know that girl. You know what they say about her, right? In other words, wow, there's no way in the world they could have done that on their own. Well, guess what? Finally, a real platform that proves Jesus. You see, we think somehow we have to get it all together before God can use us. And the fact is, is that it's in the middle of our mess as God uses us that it becomes real evident that God's real. So these guys in the middle of this deal, they're looking at them and thinking, oh my goodness, you know, we are the guys who have all the education. These guys don't. And we're the guys that you would have thought would have been able to do this miraculous stuff. We couldn't. Now all of a sudden, these unschooled, Ordinary men are doing this. Oh, guys, I hate to say it. I don't want to tell other people this, but it seems evident that this really might be Jesus. Continue, and this is what it says. 
But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to stay in opposition. So they're like, in there, oh, guys, I don't think we can arrest them. And I don't know what we do here. I mean, we can, but can you imagine the revolt that's going to happen? Because more people are going to come and say, no, 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 we saw this happen. They don't have any power, right? But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. And this is what they said. Saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak to no, no more to anyone of this name. They're saying, okay. Guys, I think we're stuck this time. But here's what we do. Maybe if we scare them a little bit, we can tell them, don't ever mention Jesus' name again. You can go. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Because, you know, we can't really change that. And if Jesus is real, we just got to stop this because we're going to lose our jobs. People aren't going to think we're as cool anymore. Like it's not about our esteem anymore. So let's just go to them. That's the best answer. Look, okay. What's happened's happened. We can't, uh, they're like, oh, dude, you know, what do we do? What maybe, maybe we, maybe we pull that guy back into to the room and we just beat him to where he can't walk again. Let's break his neck. If we break his neck, they're like, see, it never really happened. They're like, but no, a lot of people already saw it. So like, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll just tell him never ever to talk about Jesus again. Peter, John, come on. We've talked about, we want to be really nice to you. You know, because we could kill you. Like, you know, remember your, your friend Jesus, we, we nailed him to a cross. We'll do the same to you. But here's, here's what we're going to do instead because we're gracious men. And nice robes. What we're going to do is, we're, here, here, here's what we come up with. We're not going to hurt you. We're not even going to put you in time out. We're going to unhandcuff you and we're just going to let you go. But on, on one condition. Don't you ever mention that name, Jesus, that, that name. Oh, don't you say it, you know, that name, Jesus, again. Listen, this is what he says. So they called them, this verse 18, and charged them not to speak each at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered him, whether it is right in the sight of Jesus, a God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Look, whether, whether you think that makes sense to you, that's for you to judge. What I'm telling you is, you're asking me if I want to either be afraid of you and do what you say or be afraid or submissive to the guy who defeated death. We're going to go with Jesus on this one. Like, it's Jesus on this one. Not you guys, it's Jesus. Whether it's right for you, you decide for your own. We can't convince you. What we're telling you is, look, here's what we're saying. Peter's like, do you remember Jesus, the one you put in the grave? Do you remember that the grave couldn't hold him? Like, do you understand that God couldn't be held up in a little bitty tomb? Like, God was so powerful that he couldn't be kept in a tomb. Do you think that God I could keep out of me? You think I can just say no, or in me, no, Jesus, don't say anything. You think that's even possible? If he can't be contained in a tomb, you think I can contain him? Do you think it even makes sense? You think there's, do you think I can't talk about this God who changed me and changed this world? Whether it's right for you, I don't know. Me, I'll tell you. I cannot contain Jesus. So he continues. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends, reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, God who bends everything to the way that you see fit. Sovereign Lord who takes every mess and puts it together for his glory and for our good. Sovereign Lord. The heaven and the earth and the sea. 
who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? In fact, who foretold this? These kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Again, David, hundreds, hundreds of years before, said all this was going to happen. For truly the city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In other words, God, this all, like hundreds of years before, you told us this was going to happen because you're a God with foreknowledge, a God who steps outside of time and knows everything, bends everything and shapes everything exactly the way you see fit. God, you told us all this was going to happen. And because you're that God who's all-powerful, who's all-capable, has everything in control, listen, God, this is what we want. This is what we're begging for. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, as verse 29, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you, not us, God, we're going to speak of boldness, but while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And pay attention to this. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I, I teach this material on Mondays to our staff, so we're just ready. And so every Monday, like, we walk through it and get ready for Sunday. And I asked him, I asked him honestly, do you think it's possible that God could shake this room? And all of us said, yeah, do we think it's possible? Yeah, we think so. I mean, obviously, God saved us. He can do that. And we said, do you think it's likely? Do you think it's likely? And we kind of, like, hesitated for a second. And then a couple, Michael Davidson, one of our staff, said, no, I, I think it's going to happen. And then Caleb, the, you know, Caleb, the one who dances barefoot on stage with his rain dances and guitar, said, no, no, I think, it, I think it's going to happen. And we talked about it, we thought, well, why are we afraid to believe that God could do that? And here's, here's that. We're afraid he'll let us down. What if he doesn't here? Okay, what if he doesn't? That's really the question. Well, what if he doesn't? Does that mean God's not real? Listen, I'll tell you. You cannot convince me that Jesus is not real, not because of what I've read in the Bible, I've read it, not because I've analyzed it and read other books around the same time period, not because I've looked at other options, not because I know about other world religions, not because of logic or reason or even faith. You couldn't convince me because I am a broken mess and have zero to offer you. You couldn't convince me that Jesus wasn't real because the same power that conquered the grave, the same power that couldn't be contained in the grave is the only way that I stand here today. You couldn't convince me because Jesus is alive and real in my life and my family. My family would not be together if it weren't Jesus. This church would not be here if it were up to a few guys leading it. It would be impossible. You couldn't convince me because Jesus has been incredibly real in my life. And so what we've been praying all week is that Holy Spirit... Like, I don't want to convince people that they should trust in Jesus. I think about those guys in that first century. It wasn't like they had to rationally explain, Neil, you need to pray this prayer. No one just bowed their head and prayed a prayer and asked Jesus into their heart. What they saw was they saw the evidence of Jesus at work, and they said, I want, I want in on that. And so that's been our prayer. Jesus, if it's shake a building, shake a building. If it's come and land in this place and sit and present yourself, fine. If it's burn the place down, fine. Whatever it is you need to do, Jesus, 
would it be possible that you could just make yourself known? And we actually believe that's Jesus' plan. So I'm going to pray. And I really, I know this sounds crazy. Like, this is the way the church started. It wasn't because they built a steeple and put some pews in it and people got some suits. It was people said, no, no, no. Jesus is real and that power that conquered the grave lives in us. And so we can trust him and chase after him. And that's where the church is. The church is not a building. The church is a bunch of called people chasing after him. And that's what we have in this room. And I was telling them upstairs right before we got here, I'm like, this would be the right the first century church. It's gore. I mean, it's this area. It's region. It's just a bunch of people. It wouldn't make sense for this to be the place to change the world. We're not building a church. We're jumping in on a movement that God is in the middle of. And that's what I think he's inviting us to. Those of you who are cynical or skeptical of this, be convinced by anything we just said. But that just in the moments to come that you would experience it in a real way. We're not manufacturing it. They're not going to do something extra special. We're not going to let raindrops come in here. We're not manufacturing anything. I have no idea what's about to happen. But we're going to beg the Lord to do something so that we look back on April 7th and say, oh, I remember that day. That day God became really evident to me because I felt his spirit and his power come dwell with us. And so I'm going to pray. And we'll see what happens. Jesus, you're kind and you're gracious. And God, I just even confess in this moment that even though I know you're real, Somehow I think you can let me down. Like somehow I think, oh no, God, like we, we asked you to come into the room and you didn't. Like I asked you, like we asked you to shake the ground and you didn't. And so God, there's just a, a portion of me even right here in this moment. that's just really, really afraid um, that, that you won't come through. But Jesus, the truth is 2,000 years ago, you came through. Like, you showed up right in the nick of the time. You saved me from hell. You saved me from my own brokenness. And so, Jesus, the truth is, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. You're God. You're in charge. And so, God, that's really our only prayer. Yes, I would love to experience you. But, you know, the Greeks prayed for more or asked for more knowledge. The Jews asked for more miracles. God, all we're asking for is more of you. I don't want more knowledge. I don't even want more miracles this moment. I just want to send your presence. God, you say when people gather in your name, you're here. So Jesus, if it's just that we need to remove the other obstacles so all we see is you break, God. If it's because we have, if we haven't walked in the faith that we need you to trust you and believe you're real, okay, God, that's on us. But what we're asking you in this moment is we just want to see you. Like, God, I just, I want more of you in my life. God, I really want you to change me and my family. I want you to change the folks in this church. I want you to make us just like you. I want us to be people who can say silver and gold, I don't have any. But what I do have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. God, I want to see my kid be able to see people raised from the dead. And God, it sounds crazy in the 21st century to pray that prayer. But God, that's what we want. So Holy Spirit, would you invade our hearts God, would you even make us uncomfortable in the invasion if necessary so that you can have your way in our lives and in this place? And that's our prayer. It's our prayer, God. I don't know what you're going to do, but I don't want you to do anything that's not part of your plan and part of your foreknowledge and part of your sovereignty. So God, whatever it is, we give it to you. And we trust you to do whatever it is you want to do. God, would you, would you show up? God, would you be here and we seek you? I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.